Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. Today we are finishing up the Martez sisters arc with season seven, episode seven, A Dangerous Debt. And then season seven, episode eight, Together Again. Yep. So if you'll recall, the Martez sisters had owned a quasi-legal chop shop, mechanic shop in the level 13, 13 of Coruscant. Ahsoka had crash-landed there, and then they had gotten into various shenanigans, which culminated in them taking the ship that Trace Martez, the younger of the two sisters, had built, flying a cartload of spice, but then panicking, dumping the spice into hyperspace. So now it's space spice. And then (laughs) when they get to the pikes, the pikes are extremely unhappy with this development and capture them. So here we are on Obadiah with the Pikes in the Pike prison (laughs) with the Space Spice sisters whose situation sucks. Oh, my God. Incredible. (laughs) Oh, to be imprisoned by the Pikes. Have you ever heard of the tragedy of Sifo-Dyas, the Jedi that was imprisoned by the Pikes, Sam? Uh, He wasn't imprisoned by the Pikes. It was the other dude, right? Because they killed Sifo-Dyas, but they killed Silman. Okay, that was almost a good joke. Yeah, well, I wish I would have slid Silman in there to keep up my (laughs) sibilant alliteration. Anyway, who you were does not have to define who you are is the fortune cookie for this one. And while there's the various recriminations between all these teen girls, Ahsoka is telling them, hey, I can't let you deal in spice. It's too dangerous. It's too bad. It harms a lot of people. And Rafa says, oh, we got a regular Jedi over here. And Ahsoka's like, what if I was? And then Rafa reveals way back when, when Zero the Hut escaped prison with Cad Bane. Season three of The Clone Wars. There was shenanigans and one of the shenanigans which ensued was cad bane beat up a star freighter because that's how he rolls and it fell down a hole the jedi directed the freighter out of the way of a landing platform full of a bunch of people but it fell through a wall and it killed mama and papa martez and then the jedi who was responsible for making the call Light green skin, dark robes, penetrating eyes, looking at you, Luminara Anduli, mm-hmm. went over to the recently orphaned Martez sisters and said, don't worry, the force will be with you. Peace out, Girl Scout. And then nothing. Then the guards come and take away Rafa to be tortured. Yeah, they give her the old shock prods. Yes, it is not great. After that torturing and Trace and Ahsoka having some more bonding, Rafa is brought back. She is unconscious and they grab Trace. Trace is about to get tortured. She faints, but it's a faint. And she blasts one guard, blasts another guard. And and this is when we need to start the kill counter. So by the end of Trace escaping from the torture chamber, she's up to about three. Ding, ding, ding. That's three. She leads them on a running fight. Throughout this whole prisoner She compound. makes a dashing escape. There's a minor prison break. Yeah, because she's getting you know tackled by a guard and the prisoners are like, hey, let us out and we'll help you. So she kicks the button and lets them out and there's a prison break. By this point, I figure she's at about 15. She's got a lot of kills. I won't give you 15 dings. Just say them in your head. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, because also, while no one was looking, Ahsoka uses the force on her door and escapes. Rafa and Trace run into each other, start yelling. Ahsoka grabs both of them. They're running from the guards. They set off explosives. They make it all the way out of 
the prison and they're running across when, of course, the bridge starts being retracted. Rafa makes the jump. Trace attempts to make the jump, isn't going to make it, but Ahsoka gives her the old force push and like, oh, wow, look, you made it. And then they're ready for Ahsoka to not make it. She jumps easily over all of them. It's like, I'm more athletic than I look. Let's run. So... So they're at the outside of the shipyard. Mm-hmm. Ahsoka opens the gate so they can get to the ships. Punch kick, punch kick, Kung Fu Soka. She's able to unleash a little bit because no one's watching and she just beats up the entire oh, fantastic. room. Kill count at this point, Trace 15, Rafa 1. Ding! Because Rafa uh, held down a pike as his elevator was going up oh, and he yeah. becomes half the pike he used to be. Oh, the good old elevator guillotine. So now that they're split up, Ahsoka recognizes that the sisters are in trouble. But who is watching but some cloaked figures who – is that is that Bo-Katan? And the night owls? It's the night owls who are like, hey – Hey, is that that same Jedi <laughs> whose butt I slapped on Karlak? Because we should keep an eye on her because she's here and she's going to mess something up one way or the other. Oh, so keep the an good eye old on her. days. Uh, all the, the gals get aboard a speeder. The speeder gets shot and explodes. The Martez sisters are thrown clear and are surrounded. Marg Krim is ready to execute them. He's cackling maniacally in his evil plan right as he's about to. Ahsoka comes in, beats everyone up. They are running. She rescues them with a forklift. That's how you know it's serious. Fantastic. They're running along. And at this point, it's uh, Trace 15, Rafa about three, Ahsoka about three. Ding, ding, ding. And they make it through a door. But what's behind the door? But Marg Krim being like, it was a trap. I'm very smart. Another daring escape and then foiled yet again. So... They end up uh, right back where they started. Right where they start. You could have skipped this whole episode except for the kill counter. (laughs) Ahsoka 8, Trace 20, Rafa 2. Wow. Deeply impressive. So now season 7, episode 8, Together Again. So that's where we pick up with Together Again. Fortune cookie, you can change who you are, but you cannot run from yourself. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to process that one later. So the gals are right back where they started, fighting amongst themselves, as one does. Mm -hmm. But Ahsoka has a plan to get them out if Rafa and Trace will trust her. Mm -hmm. They get hauled back in front of Mark Krim, and Ahsoka puts on her tough guy negotiator voice. She's like, I want to cut a deal with you alone. And Rafa and Trace are like, what? And Ahsoka is like, trust me. Wink, wink, wink. Mm -hmm. Send the sisters off planet for one rotation. They will get the spice for you. And if they don't come back, I will tell you, Mark Krim, where their parents are so you can heavy them into submission. And Rafa is like, how could you betray us? Obviously, this is a masterful plan because Ahsoka is the best and their parents are dead. Mm -hmm. There's a fascinating interlude after Mark Krim agrees to the plan. Everyone gets marched away. And Mark Krim says, my life depends on getting this spice as much as theirs does. And then his deputy is like... You think he will find out about it? And then Mark Krim goes, he knows. He always knows. Da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. We will return to this plot line momentarily. Yes. The Martez sisters hop into the Silver Angel. They make their escape. They stop for gas. And Trace is like figuring it out. She's like, wait a second. Did Ahsoka just give herself up for us? And Rafa is like, 
duh. And that's why we have to go back for her so she can't hold it over my head for the rest of my life. Rafa is such a traumatized individual. That is probably as close to an admission of love from Rafa Martez as you will ever get. It really is. The night owls, by the way, are watching this whole thing and are keeping eyes on the situation. Yes, as one does. As they do. So the grand plan of the Martez sisters is to, I kid you not, steal spice from the pikes and then trade spice back to the pikes for Ahsoka. Classic. Completely delightful. They land back on Obadiah. They start fast-talking the deck workers. Meanwhile, Ahsoka is conducting another daring escape by herself this time. She's hopping from, you know, beam to beam, lacing the whole prison complex with explosives. The whole processing, spice processing facility with explosives. And then she overhears a conversation between Marg Krim and Darth Maul. Who's Marg Krim's boss because he's running the Shadow Collective. He makes some threats to Mark Krim about the Pikes needing to clean up their act or else Crimson Dawn is a name we have not heard yet. will take over their operations and then his holocron stares at Ahsoka and fizzles away. Well, he stares at Ahsoka, which according to the way we think at least holocrons work is not something that will happen. And he says, if you'll forgive me, I have pressing business to attend to and bounces. Deeply sinister. <laughs> yes. Ahsoka sneaks into the control room. She finds out that Darth Maul's holocron transmitted from Mandalore. Very sneaky, very sus. But the pikes knock her out with a stun gun, take her away. Yeah, the pikes had pulled themselves away. They're like, the prisoners escaped. And Ahsoka's like, ah, yes, this is my opportunity to go to the communications room. And then Mark Krim's like, it was a trap. <laughs> Back on the docks. Things are going basically pretty great for Trace and Rafa. They got the spice loaded onto their ship. They fast-talked these tungs. Little are, chew toy dock worker, weird aliens that are mostly faced. They're mostly faced with spindly little arms and goofy little voices. And importantly, we'll learn later, when you punch them, they make squeaky toy noises. <laughs> they really do. And they get mad because Rafa is, you know, knocking them around. So they call this Beefcake Trandoshan Manager. Mm -hmm. And Rafa has to do the fisticuffs. She does the dang thing. She beats him. They get the spice. They take off. It's a tough fight for her. Trandoshans are no joke. She ends up getting aboard this platform over a bottomless cabin on like a, a crane. And he lifts her above his head to suplex her on the ground. And she grabs the top of the crane and goes and undoes the bottom of it. And he falls. He just falls into nothing. And then with perfect timing, they get to Ahsoka right before Mark Krim executes her. Because Mark Krim is like, I know you're a Jedi. I know you're working for the Republic. And yeah, so it's time for me to execute you to redeem myself in the eyes of Maul. My boss. Mm -hmm. He handcuffs everybody. But with more perfect timing, Ahsoka's explosives detonate all over the facility they take the distraction, they hop onto the Silver Angel. There's an amazing scene where they all finally start communicating. Trace is doing the piloting, Ahsoka's on the guns, Rafa's on the scanners telling her where to shoot. Well, then the gun gets shot and their rear deflectors are down and this is all being relayed in combat. And Trace is like, well, the front deflectors are still in place. So she gets into a game of chicken with the remaining fighter and Rafa and Ahsoka are like, this is a bad idea. This is bad. And Trace is just like stone cold. 
buns of steel. And she wins the game of chicken and the fighter swerves into the mountain and crashes. And then they finally get away. They get they land back on Coruscant. They have a lovely conversation. Rafa says, you might not consider yourself a Jedi, but you act like one, or at least how I wish the Jedi would be. Mm-hmm. And Trey says, and I consider you a friend. And then Bo-Katan shows up and tells Ahsoka they have a common enemy, Maul, and whisks her away for the next part of her adventure. You have five minutes to decide to come with me. And Ahsoka's like, oh, and they're like, you have to do it. It's the right thing. You have to help other people. And Ahsoka says, but I'll leave my bike here just in case. Da-da-da. So that sets us up for what's going on in Mandalore right now. Yeah, so many questions. Mm-hmm. This is all completely uncharted territory for me. All of this is totally new. I have no idea what's going to happen. I have lots of questions. We've recently talked with people, Star Wars fans out in the wild, we know you exist, who (laughs) um, haven't seen season seven. Yeah. And you're missing out. But season seven has like a lot of buildup. And that's what this is, seeing who Ahsoka was meant to be and also this relationship between Trace and Rafa grow into something like non-toxic now, maybe Mm. a little bit. Yeah, interesting character revelations all around. I want to say first and foremost, I am living for the new intro music. (laughs) The new intro music is so boss. I am so much more into tubas than I thought. The tuba just makes my day so good. It'll do it. I will say, this is the first Clone Wars arc that I wish we had watched all the way through. Interesting, yeah. Well, that's uh, that speaks to season seven. Season seven is good as a full watch through in a way, particularly because although we're watching it in this chronological order, the bits with Bo-Katan lead directly into the next episode. Mm. But we're not going to see that until after Chad Batch. Yeah, I mean, it feels like this is grown-up storytelling, right? After seven seasons, the Clone Wars team, they know what they're doing. Storytelling has advanced. Animation has advanced. And the plot is always simpler than I think, but more sophisticated than I realize. And so this arc was really structured more like a movie. Yeah. And I love that we watch arcs two by two or three at a time or even sometimes one at a time because there is so much detail that I love to dig into. But I really feel like that revelation of the Jedi being responsible for killing Rafa and Trace's parents came too late for me. I really needed it Mm -hmm. in the second episode. Yeah. And instead of the very beginning of the third episode. Yeah, because I think by the time you've watched two episodes with the Martez sisters, you've crystallize some opinions about them. Mm -hmm. I mean, we spent the entire last episode saying Rafa Martez was trash and a bad sister. Yeah. And then, bam, you start the third episode and you're like, wow, a lot of this is trauma response from a really awful thing that happened to these very young girls. And they have some very valid prejudices that they have formed in response to a horrible thing that happened to them and was not apologized for. And I wanted that earlier before I formed such strong opinions about Trace and Rafa. I think that might have led Ahsoka on a different path, though, because Hmm. the whole last denouement when they get back to Coruscant, when because now uh, Mark Krim was like, hey, yeah, your friend is a Jedi. She's been a Jedi the whole time. 
and Trace and Ralph are like, no, she isn't. And they're like, well, then you're dumb. Like that's that's what Mark Krim specifically says. How unfortunate your stupidity is so authentic. Oh, brutal. It is. And this revelation that Ahsoka is a Jedi and how it was kept silent from the sisters for so long, I think helps crystallize for Ahsoka what she is meant to be. Hmm. She's not the Jedi's idea of a Jedi. She's the Martez sister's idea of a Jedi Mm. in that she will do the right thing regardless of personal cost, but she has to be kind of low key about it. She can't Mm. be at this forefront of this organization, which she recognizes has been corrupted. Yeah, so there's a very important piece of Ahsoka story that I want to talk about, and I think it is related very much to this, Mm -hmm. to the difference between who the Jedi are and who people want them to be. So, you know, we ended the last Ahsoka arc with her running away from the Jedi. We close on her back as she walks away. And we close this arc on Ahsoka's back as she leaves the Martez sisters. But I think the difference is that in this arc, it doesn't feel like she's running away. It feels like she's running towards. Yeah. And that is the story of the next arc in what is she running towards? Because her concern is, am I running back into the duties of a Jedi? Oh, yeah. So we don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't know why. Okay, good, 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 good. We don't know why the Night Owls and Bo-Katan were on Obadiah. We don't know why Maul is on Mandalore. We don't know why Ahsoka is going with them. We don't know why they wanted her to go with them. So we don't know what she's going towards. But I think we got to see her practice who she is away from the Jedi. Yeah. Not seeing herself removed from their influence. Because I think, you know, as the fortune cookie says, you can change who you are, but you can't run from yourself. Mm -hmm. She can't change that she grew up around the Jedi as a Jedi. Yeah. But she got to see how she holds herself and how she reacts in situations when no one who used to know her is watching. She got to answer some questions like, who am I? How do I react to things? I think she got some answers. I think she figured out that she does have a moral code that sprang up from the Jedi, but is not necessarily part of the Jedi. Yeah. She's still willing to sacrifice herself for people. She's still willing to take the harder path without complaining. And I think she got a little bit more clarity about where she is going. I think so, because there was really never any doubt that she was going to go with Bo-Katan instead of the Sisters Martez. Yeah, because she, I think she saw that there were limits to what she could do there. Yeah, and that being on Coruscant is like so close to her life before, and it's so close to the Jedi Temple, and might be so close to all the things that are problematic, whereas Bo-Katan's like, hey... We need a hero. We need you to be our hero. We know what you can do. Uh, and sorry, I'm also- tearing up because I know what the next scene is. Bo-Katan is saying, we need a hero. We need you to be a hero right now. And Ahsoka is recognizing that really what Rafa and Trey said, which is you need to carry on this tradition of doing right for other people. Mm-hmm. We, You need to help other people like you helped us. Yeah. And I think at the same time, 
you know, I really felt for Ahsoka because that love, that bond, that sisterhood with the Martez sisters, it was still kind of conditional. Yeah. You know, they look at her and they see that she is the exception to the rule. She's the exception to what they know of the Jedi. And Ahsoka, I think, you know, still loves the Jedi, believes in what they're meant to be doing. But at the same time, if she stayed with the Martez sisters, she would have to continuously disown them and prove that she's not loyal to them anymore. Because she still needs to practice some level of non-attachment in her mind being an attached because I don't think she's willing to completely forego the Jedi code. I think she's willing to forego the Jedi doctrine. Mm -hmm. She's, uh, she's leaving her church, but not her religion. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really interesting to see how this plays out and also how Ahsoka's character, I think going back to what started us on this, she needed to have that relationship with the Martez sisters unfold at the speed that it did with like, why don't you like Jedi? And then it's revealed with the fullness of time so that Ahsoka wasn't defensive or offensive with the Jedi. She had to maintain equanimity. Mm-hmm. Neutrality. Yeah. things I want to get out of the way here as far as the big picture. Okay. So this whole arc was filmed after the Rebels TV show. Okay. Which is important to note. Rebels ran for four seasons and there are three things that happen which are callbacks to Rebels. One of them is the big jump that Ahsoka does. One of them is when Ahsoka puppets a pike out so that uh, the Martez sisters can shoot them. And I counted those as Ahsoka kills on my kill count. Okay. All yeah. right. Fair. And the other one is that there are two night owls whose voices we hear. Okay. One of them is Bo-Katan. Okay. One of them is Ursa Wren. Hmm. Ursa Wren is a very important character who we'll meet later, but I just want all of our listeners, especially those who haven't seen Rebels, to put a pin in that name and recognize Ursa Wren was here when the Martez <laughs> sisters were shenaniganing around Obadiah. This Little is what graffiti Ursa Wren scrawl. Ursa Wren was here, was uh, with a Z. Maybe it was a graffiti scrawl. That would be hilarious, ironic, and appropriate. Okay. All right. With all that out of the way, <laughs> let's continue. I just wanted to say this is embarrassing. I don't remember what Maul was doing the last time we saw him. Okay. So last time we saw Maul, he was on Mandalore. He had just killed the Duchess. Oh, God. Yeah. He had just taken over the criminal underworld with Savage. And then Palpatine came and beat Ten shades of tar. Oh out yeah, of him. kebabed savage. Kebabed savage, kebabed, kebabed, and then also tortured Maul to within an inch of the floor. Oh yeah. So what is Maul up to? Apparently, he's still on Mandalore. He's still causing a ruckus. He looks fine. Well, yeah. He sounds fine. 
Yeah. He's doing fine. He's doing great. He's still running the criminal underworld. He apparently is heavying a bunch of crime families very successfully. You know, I thought we got a very empathetic look at Mark Krim. Mark Krim is the like most relatable villain we've had in such a long time. So long. He actually seems like a very thoughtful megalomaniac, evil crime lord, family leader. His back really seems to be up against the wall. He's like, you know. And his his deputy has like a very cool, very militaristic kind of like a samurai mm-hmm. pike mask. Mm-hmm. And he's always saying stuff. And he's like, look, like I can't, man. Yeah, I mean, like the pikes might be D-bags just to be D-bags because it's fun. But apparently they also have a lot to worry about. Um, Maul is threatening them with giving away their family business to Crimson Dawn. Over 30 grand worth of spice, which doesn't seem like a lot. I guess it's kind of a lot. It's a weird number because it's a lot to the Martez sisters because 30 credits, you know, a Jogan fruit costs four. So it's about $30,000. Yeah. But it's not that much for a crime lord. And so they're having that talk because Rafa's is like, I don't know why they're so up in my biz. Like, aren't they used <laughs> yeah. to getting hosed? Aren't they petty criminals like me? And Ahsoka's like, no, these these are actual criminals. You you are a <laughs> fake criminal. These are actual criminals. You are a criminal wannabe, my friend. So they need to kill you to show that they can't be messed with. They it. got a quota. And that makes sense to Rafa. And then in perhaps something that was too heavy handed, but it also... Or it shows how thin Maul's margins are. These three crates of spice are the difference to make and break for his operations. Yeah. Or he's using that as a cudgel to beat up Mark Krim. Probably a cudgel. I'd hope so. And then now Mark Krim's really in the soup because Ahsoka just blew up his entire spice factory. Oh my God, right? I mean, do not let Hondo Onaka fool you, my friends. It is not easy out there for the heads of major crime families. I mean, even Hondo has a tough time. Yeah, but this was a bad week to be a pike. I think Mark Krim, if anything, was like, He's a little bit less scary than Hondo because Hondo has killed a lot of people for a lot less. Hondo is like affable, but if you're on his bad side, he's like, I'm having a bad day, so I'm going to kill you. He's like, aha, ha, ha, and I will slit your throat now. Aha. Whereas Mark Krim, it seems like he's really needing to torture the information about three crates of spice from the sisters. Yeah, because his major domo is like, you know, they're totally pulling one over you. And he's like, I know, but I don't have any other options here. Yeah, but he does come off as extremely competent because he pulls off not one, not two, but three good traps on the Sisters Martez. He really does, man. But he, at the cost of how many soldiers, you know, he lost at least 40 dudes throughout this whole time, which is a lot. Yeah. So it's interesting. At the end of season six, you know, we talked a lot in Yoda's journey about how the Clone Wars was perfecting older elements of Clone Wars arcs and episodes. Yes, yes. You know, Yoda's journey was the more perfect Mortis arc, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. But Dangerous Debt, the third episode with all of the prison breaks and all of the Mm -hmm. foiled plans, reminded me in a not so good way of the Dooku captured arc. Yeah. Where Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Dooku spend an entire episode trying to break out of Hondo's prison, and Mm -hmm. then they end up right back where they started. They 
tried three separate times to escape and each time got caught. Yeah, both times. So back in season one and then here in season seven. And normally, you know, you justify this kind of thing with, but it was all about the friends they made along the way and Mm -hmm. there's character development. But I don't know that we got character development in Dangerous Dead. We did get denouement. We got the exposition that I think needed that fullness of time as well as seeing... I, I think that one was a Trace episode. It was. Trace did so great. She really did. And honestly, and this is important, Rafa did too. Because yes. when Rafa comes to after being tortured, she's like, I'll never tell you where the spice is. That's her first words out of her she mouth. She gave them nothing. And so she was able to withstand Pike torturing, which is her deal. And then Trace escapes and has the highest kill count by a factor of eight. She is very handy with a blaster. Surprisingly so. And like there's a scene where Rafa is like beating up a pike with a stick and is not getting the better (laughs) of the pike. And then Trace comes up and like pistol whips him down. So Trace is showing that she has the skills. Teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah, that's uh, so when they when Rafa got her first kill in the pike in the elevator, <laughs> they're wrestling and Rafa is going to be the one who's giving a 15% off sale because the pike would be able to pull her up. But Trace grabs her legs and then Ahsoka grabs her legs and they pull down. So it's really a assisted kill. It's a half for both of them. Pretty brutal. Yeah, definitely camera cut away for that one. <laughs> so unfortunately, without giving away some spoilers for episode nine there's a lot that we're going to be circling back to with the bo-katan stuff Ooh, okay that arc which we'll be coming to in a couple weeks is the bo-katan and ahsoka arc they go and break stuff arc so it's extremely thrilling it is the finale of season seven. Okay, so it's happening after the Chad Batch arc. Yes. You've got me saying Chad Batch now. Yeah. This is bad. <laughs> you'll, you'll see. Okay. But without those spoilers, I feel like this arc does a good show of the Martez sisters. It shows them having significant character growth merely by working with a Jedi and seeing the way a Jedi operates. It shows that Ahsoka is not a Jedi. She is taking her own path. Mm -hmm. And her own path is like, I'm no longer affiliated with the Jedi, but I still do a lot of Jedi things. Yeah. So that actually reminds me. There is a moment right at the beginning of Dangerous Death, the third third episode, the first one that we watched this week, Mm -hmm. where Ahsoka and Rafa bring up this interesting philosophical question right away. Yeah. And I think it gives us a lot of insight into Ahsoka. So she's saying to Rafa, if you bring the Pike's spice and they turn it into life-ruining drugs, Mm -hmm. that's on you. Yeah. And first I was thinking... Isn't that the opposite of what Tara Sinube taught Ahsoka in the lightsaber lost episode? So she loses her lightsaber, yeah. is picked up by a petty criminal. The criminal's out there murdering people with a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. And Ahsoka's like, oh my God, if I lose my lightsaber and someone kills them with it, that's on me. And Tara Sinube says, no, because that's not your hand. And so I was thinking, if you say to someone... If you lose your lightsaber and someone kills a person with it, that's not on you. Mm -hmm. 
if you crash your speeder into a wall and it kills some little girl's parents, that's not on you. Yeah. Isn't that the kind of flawed thinking that Ahsoka walked away from the Jedi for? Hmm. So there's the issue of intentionality. Mm -hmm. So I've been uh, sober a couple of years and I'm part of a community of sober people because there's lots of them. And if you ever uh, find yourself needing to make some hard decisions about that, please, please, please reach out to myself or I'd, I'd be happy to point you in a direction wherever you are, whenever you are. But there exists like the idea of what if someone were to slip me uh, and I'm, I'm abstinent in terms of drugs and alcohol. And so what if someone were to accidentally give me a gin and tonic instead of a soda water? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if I drank it down and ordered another, then obviously I'm no longer acting in sobriety and my intentionality has changed. But if as soon as I recognize the situation, I make an effort to rectify it, then my intentionality is still abstinence. Right. Right, right, right. And so the intentionality of running spice is I'm going to deliberately obfuscate from myself the results of my actions in order to make a profit. Right. And honestly, oh my gosh, that's why I don't want to work in oil and gas anymore because <laughs> I have to obfuscate from myself the results of my actions. Right. And that's a common problem amongst people with my background. But if you are trying your best all the time, then your intentionality is above reproach. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I also find myself thinking about the difference between intent and impact because yeah. if I step on your foot and mm -hmm. it hurts you, my intent was not to hurt you. My intention was not to cause you harm. Yeah. My impact is that I hurt you. Yeah. I caused you harm. So sometimes do your good intentions matter? I think they always do. Because the difference between me getting my foot hurt in an accident, whether or not it's caused by someone's clumsiness or whatever, and someone taking a baseball bat to my foot is pretty significant. It is, but... And the reason I'm bringing this up is because, you know, for Rafa and Trace, I think they have one standpoint on this. And for Ahsoka, a former Jedi, and the Jedi, I think they have a different standpoint on this. Mm-hmm. To two little girls who are looking at their dead parents, I don't think they care that the Jedi who crashed the speeder into their house thought she was doing the good thing. I think even Rafa and Trace recognized that. I think what they were saying, because the way Rafa tells the story, is that the Jedi redirected the crashing speeder from a heavily populated landing platform to a ostensibly unpopulated wall. Right, yeah. And we know that the Jedi turned it into the train dilemma, the trolley problem. Yeah. I think what Rafa hates is that the Jedi merely said, the Force will provide. The Force finds a way. Thoughts and prayers, peace. And didn't provide anything in the way of a social contract. And that might be a the confabulation of the Jedi with a governance the Jedi are not part of the government, and they are not part of the social contract. Yeah, it's just, it's completely wild to me that there's not some kind of repatriation program, some kind of foster home, some kind of fund for people who were, you know, collateral damage to the Jedi and the governance system. 
Right, right. Especially, but gosh, that, I mean, how often does that happen? Where Well, just think about the Zillow Beast arc back oh my in gosh, yeah. season two. The Zillow Beast ran amok all across Coruscant and was probably smashing families left and right. I'm sure there were hundreds or thousands of casualties. Yeah. And, people, and, and this is where the true costs of this war are because the you know zero the huts escape was part of the war although it is the kind of thing that the jedi would have been doing before the war and we're left with why isn't the government stepping in to help yes orphans? yes absolutely because the way the jedi are set up they couldn't do something with that i think and that there is interesting ethical dilemmas and i think this is Really important in a very small scene in the fourth episode. Of okay. So Rafa and Ahsoka are walking along. Trace is climbing the rafters looking for their ship. And they come across a goat person. Oh, yeah. We didn't beggar. even talk about this. Mm-hmm. And the beggar is like, spare any credits. And they're like, no, get out of here. So anyway, this is a direct callback to the end of season five when Ahsoka is traveling through the lower levels of Coruscant. She comes across a goat person. She gives him her ration bar. In exchange for his cloak. In exchange for his cloak. Sure. Um, so apparently, maybe it's the same goat person. But anyway. Yeah, maybe. They, uh, <laughs> She's a very hungry goat. They're walking along and they're having this ethical dilemma of like, whose job is it to help people? And Ahsoka's like, well, I should always help people. Hey, could you spare us some credits? No, get out of here. And then, well, so Rafa says, no, get out of here. Yes, and they're still having this conversation. And then two seconds later, the goat person is begging more, comes up to some pikes, sees that the pikes have a holocron. And turns them in. And turns them in. And if he had had credits, maybe he wouldn't have. So. Or if he had owed them a favor, right? Yeah. You know, there's that old mm-hmm. argument that people get so mad about that altruism doesn't exist because mm. if you do something good for someone else, it probably feels good for you. So it's not totally selfless, whatever. But I think it's worth pointing out that Ahsoka doing the right thing would have been also a good thing for them. And in this case... In this conversation, this interaction, Ahsoka was stepping outside the role of an actor and taking on the role of a mentor for Rafa. Mm-hmm. And then the situation played out as it did. I don't. I doubt that Rafa learned a lesson from that, but maybe she did. I don't think she learned a lesson from the goat person. Probably not. But And I don't think that Ahsoka does either because I don't think they know that the goat person turns them in. I don't think so. Probably not. But it does go to show that what comes around goes around or whatever. It's just so interesting because I love that we're having this big thorny discussion about tiny moments in the Clone Wars because that's what we do. But in the earlier seasons, we had a lot less textual support for our little Uh headcanons. And I think the writing has gotten sophisticated enough and the plotting has gotten sophisticated enough that we're probably supposed to be having this big discussion about the goat person scene, right? Like that's fantastic. Especially with the form factor of these episodes, each of these, you know, 22 minutes long, very well plotted, put together with a big team. Beautifully woven together. Well animated, especially as we move on in the season. And we're left with uh, what's important and what's not. And I think a lot of media has to work really hard. I think a lot of people in the entertainment industry have to work really hard because looking at 
media with an eye for the themes and the plots is not something that is practiced on the regular. Hmm. And I don't think that people would recognize the difference between season five Ahsoka and season seven arc three Ahsoka without this. Oh, yeah. But when it came out, this episode was still critically panned. However, the Martez sisters arc when it first, like the first two episodes, people were like, the first episode sucked, the second episode better, and then it gets better and better. Yeah. And by the time we get to this one, it's it's fun. We're having a lot of fun. It's got funny moments, like when the tomb are getting punched and making squeaky toy noises. Oh my God, just Rafa's entire scheme is completely delightful. Oh my, like, talk about brass ones. My gosh. She's like, right. We'll just- We'll just steal. And then she she rolls up. She fast talks and bluffs her way into getting her ship loaded up she with spice. She just bullies the chew toys into doing whatever she wants. And they're like, well, this is highly irregular. She's like, I'm a businesswoman. I, I wish to talk to the manager. <laughs> I wish to bully the manager into submission. I wish yeah. to bully this beefcake Trandoshan into doing whatever I want. And oh, so he's too to dumb him. to be bullied. I guess I'll drop him down an elevator shaft. <laughs> Fantastic. So there's a lot of good in this arc, and I'm bittersweet that we aren't rolling directly into Siege of Mandalore. Oh, you know, I'm not sad. First of all, because I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen. Second of all, because I'm in this place where I just trust what the Clone Wars is doing. It's hard to trust season one, season two, even season three Clone Wars with total belief and total faith because there are so many different threads being woven and side plots and weird episodes and unfinished business. Mm-hmm. But we're in the end game now and, and I just have total faith that everything that's happening in season seven of the Clone Wars is intentional mm-hmm. and I meant to savor it and I meant to see it and store it away. And I'm just waiting for the payoff. Yeah. I'm just loving the buildup because I'm just excited for the payoff. Well, I can guarantee that payoff. That's cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Wow. I have a tiny cameo that I want to talk about really fast. Talk about it. Do you remember the two, like the Athorian and I think the Weequay that Trace breaks out of yeah. the Pike prison? There's the tiniest scene during the goat ethics problem conversation when Rafa and Ahsoka are in this big conversation about like, well, should we help people and should we not? And in the background, the Ithorian and the Weequay are making their escape into Obadiah. I love that. And so Rafa and Ahsoka are like having this philosophical question and these two people that Trace helped out without even questioning it are making their escape in the background. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, sure, Rafa and Ahsoka will have these big conversations and Trace is going to do the work. I think that's funny because out of these three characters, Mm -hmm. definitely we're seeing sort of the person who is easily convinced to do the right thing because that's what Trace's reasoning is the whole yeah. time. She's like, yeah. I, I'm going to be helpful. I'm going to help you, Ahsoka, because it's what Mama Martez would do. She's a little simple, but she gets there eventually. And then Rafa needs convincing, but by the end, she comes around because she realizes when she's even slightly socialized at all, she's like, okay, I see the results of what I do versus the results of the way Ahsoka and Trace do things. 
I can see that I've made some mistakes. Yeah, and she passes all of her reasoning through this filter of like, well, what's in it for me? I guess I better rescue Ahsoka so she can't hold it over my head forever. You know, doing but the she right, also gets there eventually. Doing the right thing for the wrong reasons eventually gets you to doing the right thing. That's intent and impact right there for me. <laughs> and then Ahsoka, of And then course. Ahsoka, who somehow this arc isn't about her. Hmm. You know? It is, but it isn't. It's her story, but it's not her as the lead. Even though she's doing all the action, she's having all the things. It's a story about her, not her story. I think it's a story about the ties that bind. Hmm. That we are all connected, especially when we don't know it, and especially when we think we have nothing in common with people. All of a sudden, if you dig deep enough and listen hard enough, there are weird connections in your lives, and you are knitted more closely than you think you are. Yeah. And everybody has something to learn from everybody. I think that is a very good read. Going back to very early in the first episode of this arc when Yularen and Anakin let them go. And then Bo-Katan's like, hey, I recognize that butt. Like (laughs) – Lux Monteri is not the only person that has slapped that butt. Yep. <laughs> so it ties the bind. <laughs> ties the bind. Ahsoka's butt. Good Ahsoka's stuff. Butt. Good stuff. Good there stuff. We go. <laughs> On that note, I think there's nowhere else to go but Baywatch. Yep. Time for butt watch. It's time for butt watch. It's time for butt, butt watch. watch. <laughs> So, Sam, whose butts are you watching this week? <laughs> oh, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one. There's a lot of very cool characters. You know, I'm going to go with Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan? Bo-Katan? She only had three lines. She only had three lines. She sits there in her cloak watching everything spookily, shows up at the end, drops an ultimatum, accepts no further questions. I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sam's into it. I love it because she's like, I don't know who these, you know, small time teenage gangsters are. Really not my problem. I'm sure they'll be fine. Ahsoka's got them doing stuff. I'm keeping track of Ahsoka because she's trouble. Mm. And gosh, it's that Mandalorian reticence. I know when uh, the Mandalorian came out. He opened, uh, you know, hearts and minds to the hot single dad who never shows his face. (laughs) And Bo-Katan has that stoicism, that silence that is like hearts aflutter. You know, you're like, wow, what a what a cool girl. What a tough as nails gal. And she sits there with her like two friends who and their cool, sneaky starship that was right behind the Silver Angel and did not get tracked, sneaking off to just. Add one more gal to the team. Yeah, I feel like the night owls that we've all seen have looked pretty much female. I'm pretty sure they all are. Yeah, it's nice because the first time we were seeing Bo-Katan, she was always alone or she was with Pre Vizsla. And now Mm -hmm. she's always with her cool, you know, girl power gang of Mandalorian night owls. And they're putting together a dream team to you know, go mess up Maul. Because that is what happened at the end of that arc, right? Is Bo-Katan, you know, Maul's like, hey, due to 
me using a sword and a dark saber and beating this dude up. I'm now your boss. And a bunch of the Mandalorians are like, I guess that's true. And Bo-Katan's like, absolutely not. And she didn't even have to look to their left or the right. She just had her core, no. you know, gal pal lady yeah. friends. And they were like, peace out. And proceeds to throw double fistfuls of grenades at everyone and run away. And then... They're off to go cause a ruckus in Maul's operations because they're like, we don't want to be part of a crime syndicate. We want to have our honor. And then they see Ahsoka running around and the Night Owls are like, hey, she's trouble. We like trouble. Let's let's get some directed trouble. Let's yeah, some not good trouble. Let's not mess around doing small time teen girl drug bust stuff. <laughs> let's get Ahsoka. Let's get some explosives. Let's blow some stuff up. Let's go loud, inflict violence, cause problems for people. And that is cool. And and Bo-Katan says that with like zero words. One raised eyebrow. Yeah, which you can't even see behind her helmet. <laughs> yeah. But, but you can the implication hear it. is there. The you can hear the eyebrow. <laughs> so I think that's a really cool look, and I'm giving her the nod. As you said that, I got so excited. Okay, good choice. Good choice. I love it. <laughs> Who do you got? I am awarding a dual Baywatch. That is not allowed. This is our podcast. Everything is allowed, except for swearing, <laughs> much to my chagrin. I'm awarding a dual Baywatch to the Martez sisters. Fair. Because they were brave and vulnerable and more generous than they needed to be. At the very end, when they land on Coruscant, they're in the cockpit. And Ahsoka's like, so are we going to talk about this? And the Martez sisters like <laughs> walk off. Yeah. You know, like straight backs. They looked mad. And Ahsoka was like, God, I guess I'm never going to be able to get them over this. Like, I guess we're donezo. And then two seconds later, they're having the, the more important talk. Yeah. And I think that shows them asserting security for themselves asserting like we talk on our terms on our turf but we are willing to change i think there was just a willingness to see the good in ahsoka and to break open this incredibly tight inner circle that they've had of just the two of them and mm -hmm. say we have every reason to hate you to hate what you stand for to resent you for what you did for us. You know, just every reason to not accept that you were trying to help us and turn it into hostility and just kick you out of our lives. Mm -hmm. And instead, they were just willing to try a different way. I mean, I think about this all the time. If something is working for you in your life, you just keep doing that thing. Yeah. If there's a way that you move through the world and it has worked for you so far, there is no incentive to try something else. And the Martez sisters get through this wild scheme. They're fine. And they just have lived to scheme another day and do what they have been doing this whole time. And instead, they're willing to try a different way and say to Ahsoka, you can be our friend. You know, we're willing to trust you. We're willing to be open. You can stay with us. We'll be a trio instead of a duo. And they're also willing to recognize that Ahsoka has bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Which so is they, very cool. They let her go. Yeah. They let her go instead of pushing her out. And that's the difference between the Jedi and the Martez sisters. Ooh. And that's the lesson that Ahsoka needed to learn. Yeah. You don't always have to be pushed out to walk away from something. Sometimes people let you go because they know you're ready and you know you're ready. 
And you still have a place back there with them. You don't have to burn bridges to get away. Yeah. You can just walk across it. I think that's what the Martez sisters taught Ahsoka. I think so. I think this was an arc about friendship and love. And I think more than anything, Ahsoka needed a harbor in this storm that she's in. And now she has one. Yeah. And it's not like the safest harbor. Rafa Martez schemes at the speed of light. Mm -hmm. But she's got a... Pretty low quality schemes, honestly. But she's got a, a home for her speeder and two gals who'd be happy to see her again. And like, sometimes that's enough. Yeah. So dual Baywatch to the Martez sisters. I'm raising my glass. <laughs> May they live to scheme another day. Yeah, yeah. Well, that about wraps it up. With the Martez sisters arc, we're circling back next week to season seven, episode one, Chad Batch. The Bad Batch and season seven, episode two, A Distant Echo. Whoa. These ones are action packed. They're going to be fun. They're going to be, they're going to be really fun. That's cool. That's exciting. I see clones in the little episode art and I'm excited. Oh yeah. You know me, all my favorite clones are dead. So it's time for some new favorite clones. Oh. <laughs> As always, you can find us on social media at Growing Up Skywalker, wherever you get your social media or your Skywalkers or do your growing up. And you can uh, subscribe to our Patreon to be a subscriber to our Patreon, which has special <laughs> Patreon-exclusive subscriber exclusives of Sam's Naval History Minute and Leftovers and other stuff. Book reports. We do book reports. We do. That was a fun one. Yeah. Might do that today. And you can always find us at growingupskywalker.com and send us a little email or a holocron at growingupskywalker at gmail.com. And send this to someone with a nice butt. <laughs> or, you know, someone who feels like your sister or if, is your sister. If you, send it to your sister. If you send this to someone, you have a nice butt. That's nice. <laughs> I support that. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.